Welcome to the Heme Consult Podcast, a weekly inspiration infusion for women of color and hematology. Dear woman of color and hematology, Heme Consults is your personal space to rest, recharge, and renew your spirit with a weekly infusion of inspiration from hematologist Dr. Toyasi Anwemena. Every Sunday, Dr. Anwemena will remind you that you are a superstar and have everything you need to succeed in your incredible career as a hematologist. Welcome to the Hematology Sisterhood that will transform your world. Hello, welcome to today's episode. It is called In the Beginning, and the theme scripture is Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to tell you the story of my career, how it began, how it unfolded, and I'll talk to you about the lessons that I learned from that space of the story of my unfolding career, and then I will also call you to action with some questions that I hope will help you take a step and think about what your career could look like that is different from what it is now. All right, I encourage you first and just let you know that no matter the kind of week you've had in the past, no matter the microaggressions you've fought, no matter what people have said, that you, where you had to go and sit and think about your life and ask yourself if you're really supposed to be here, I just want to stop and tell you, yes, you are supposed to be here. You're here because you came to make change happen and you can. That's why you're listening to me because I told you that I would tell you that you could do it. You could make it, that your career is going to make the difference in the lives of your patients. It's going to make a difference in the lives of the people you care about. You came to hematology because you want to transform the world and you have all the power that you need to make it happen. All right, I'll share my story. So at the beginning of my career, really, it goes back, back a long way to medical school. And when I was thinking about choosing a specialty, and I wasn't really sure, what specialty to choose? I considered many things. I considered obstetrics and gynecology. I considered surgery. I considered um, pediatrics, but I ultimately settled on a career in oncology. I just, I wanted to be an oncologist. My father died of hepatocellular carcinoma. And I just knew that that was where I was going to go and make a difference in my world. And I was just going to become an oncologist. And somehow on my way to becoming an oncologist, I discovered I didn't quite like oncology. And what I came to discover was a specialty called hematology, the study of blood. And I just didn't even really know that the specialty existed because when people say hematology, oncology, most of the time it just means oncology. But I recognized that there was a specialty called hematology and I actually really, really loved hematology and I wanted to become a hematologist. And part of this, and I've shared before, is that my mentor, Laura, was a hematologist. She saw patients who have sickle cell. And I, I really loved her, um, her clinical practice. I loved the patients that she saw. I just, I really liked what she was doing. And so I really resonated with that. And I started working with her. I started doing research with her as a resident. And one of my senior assistant resident talks, a talk that we give at the culmination of our residency program, um, I gave on sickle cell disease and transfusion sickle cell disease. And I have to tell you that I did an outstanding job. It was just a space in which I loved patient population. I loved the providers who took care of patients in that space. Hematologists were happy people. And I, I'm a happy person. 
And so it was exactly the right space for me. And I actually ended up winning an award for that talk. See, when you are in spaces where you thrive and people celebrate you, those are the spaces you tend to continue to gravitate towards, right? And so people celebrated me in that space. I gave this outstanding talk and I just knew I was going to become a hematologist. And so I went on and did a fellowship program in hematology oncology while really trying to make my experience as much of a hematology experience as possible. And then I got to the point at which I started looking for a faculty career. All right, this is the important piece of the story. Many of you actually have a good sense of what you want your career to look like. You know exactly what you want to do. You already have the plan. You've been talking with your mentors. You know what you're supposed to do in your first faculty interview or you, you know, when you're looking for your first faculty job and you're on top of things, you know what programs you want to go to, you know exactly what mentors you want to work with. Yeah, that was not me. <laughs> I was clueless. I was a mature woman going into um, interviewing for my first position out of training. And I really didn't have much of a clue of what I wanted to do. In fact, part of that was because I didn't understand what this whole academic career was supposed to be like anyway, right? What I did know is that I wanted to do research. I was very sure of that fact. Don't ask me what else I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to do research. And in my fellowship program, I had done some research, but not near the amount of research that I really wanted to do. And so I was looking for faculty positions with the strong sense of, I really want to do research. I really want to do research. So there were a couple of flavors of programs as I was interviewing. In one program, they told me, oh yeah, research, of course. It's a thing we all do in the middle of the night when no one's there. It's a thing we do at nights and on weekends. And I thought, hmm, okay, good to know. They were pretty upfront about it. Research was something they considered um, as something you did when nobody else was looking. So after your daytime job was complete, then you would go do research. That was, that was important to know. And they were pretty explicit with me about that. What they wanted me to do is to do full-time clinical work and then somehow figure out the research in the background. Another flavor of jobs was a place where people would say, oh yeah, of course, um, you really want to do research? Wow. Wow. Research is hard. Research is really tough. Um, you might not make it. Oh, wow. Nobody gets funded anymore. Nobody's really doing research. Nobody succeeds in research. Are you sure? <laughs> the place where they're trying to use the scared tactics to stop me from pursuing a career in research. And they were like, well, instead of doing this research thing that doesn't work for anybody, why don't you come see patients? <laughs> and the third flavor was really just from one program where I eventually took a job was where they said, of course, hematologists do research because hematologists are great at research. And we do research here. You should come here. And so I totally resonated with that. And I took that job. I took that job. All right. So I took the job because it was the only job of the opportunities I was looking for where they actually celebrated research and thought it was possible for me to have a career in research. But here's the rub. They said, hey, you can do research here. We all do research here. You can succeed in doing research here. But wow, you don't have any funding. Hmm. And because you don't have any funding, we can't really give you a position to do research because you don't have any funding. And if you had funding, we would give you the position to do research, but you don't have funding. However, what we do have for you and what you're qualified to take is this 80% job as a clinician. And, and 
you know, you can keep working to do this research thing that you really want to do because we do research here and we will support you to do all the research that you want. And I believed the story. (laughs) I did. And I would tell you that now, in retrospect, I would say that if you want a career in research and someone's saying, hey, here's this research career that you can do while also doing a, an 80% clinical job, that's really kind of sort of a 100% clinical job. I would say run the other way and look and keep looking for the career that you want in research. I'll also share with you in future episodes the steps to take if you're not already there um, to get yourself set up to actually get that kind of faculty position doing the research that you really want to do. Okay. But there I was, naive. I didn't really ask. I didn't know who to ask. I didn't know what what I should be looking for. I just I knew I wanted to do research. This was the only place that said they would encourage me in my pursuit of research. And this 80% clinical job really just, um, it, it just didn't fit. But I, I took I took the job. I took the job. <laughs> Here's the other part of the story. So, so in general, we work five days a week, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is where your job theoretically should fit. So if I was doing an 80% clinical job within a five-day work week, how many days of clinical should that be? Yeah, I was doing five days of clinical, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I was doing five days of clinical. It was really a 100% clinical job. Even though on paper I had the 20% research time. I was really doing a 100% clinical job. And so, wow, it was really going to be difficult for research to come out of that space. And then I met a mentor named Gao. Shout out to Gao. Gao was the first person to tell me that research was not a side job. Research was a real job. Research is a job you do, she told me, during the daytime. And your job in trying to get to a research career is to work to make research your daytime job. And so Gal supported me in submitting my first grant that was funded, which was a diversity supplement to her R01 grant so that I could start what eventually became my research career. All right. Now, over the course of my career, I've continued to apply for grants. I've continued to apply for funding. I'm at a place right now where I am 70% protected to do research and I do clinical work about 30%, actually probably less than 30% of the time. And so how did that happen? How did I come from a position where I was 80%, really 100% clinical to doing 70% mostly research and really protected research time? And that story I will, I will share a little bit more about in future episodes. But I want to pause there and share the lessons that I think come from this story. Number one, is that sometimes when you start at the beginning of whatever you start, right? What you have before you is something amorphous and like a blob. It just, it just is not quite well shaped and quite well formed. Yeah. They tell you that you are going to do X percent research and X percent clinical and X percent education, but what exactly your career is going to be? You're not sure. It's, it's kind of unfolding before your eyes. What you are sure of though, are the things that you don't really like about the career. You're like, I don't like this piece of the job. Um, And then the other piece of it is the seed of what is in that job that you have, right? You've taken the job. You said, I'm going to do it. 
the parts of it that you're like, I, I could do without this piece. And then the parts of it that you're really excited about, you're like, I see the potential of what this could become. I think the first lesson in that was that even though I took a job that maybe wasn't the job I should have taken, and it's the job I would advise people today not to take, there was a seed of something in that job that I saw. And I, over the course of my career, was able to make expand. And so I think that brings us to lesson number two, which is that what is the seed of goodness? The stuff that you hate, the stuff you don't like, there's a seed of something that you actually like, that you actually enjoy within that job. And the question is, what is it? And for me, it was that there were people around me doing research during their daytime hours, right? And because they were succeeding, I knew I could succeed. And so where people had told me that this research thing only happens in the middle of the night and on weekends, I knew was one reality, but I decided would not be my reality, right? And then when I got to this other place where they told me that research was just too hard and nobody succeeded doing research anymore, I recognized that that was not my reality. That was their reality. And so then I was able to gravitate toward the people who said, you know what, we do research here and we can make it work. Now it didn't quite fit because they were like, hey, come do this research job while also being like a 100% clinical person. And that really didn't fit. But then I found someone that I gravitated toward who taught me that, hey, these are the steps that you need to take to make research part of your daytime job. And that brings me to lesson number three. Lesson number three is that you have creative power to take the things before you that you see that you don't like to magnify the seed of what you like that is in that space. For many of us in academic medicine, there, there's just stuff we don't like. You're like, I hate this piece. I hate this part. But there is stuff we like. And I know there's stuff we like because we're here in the first place. If we were completely miserable, we probably just wouldn't be here. But many times we put up with the stuff that we hate because of the stuff that we see that is possible. And that's what I just want to expand for you is that the most important piece is your creative power to take what you see that you don't like and out of it, bring out the thing that you do like. As you stare upon the amorphous blob that is your career, you don't see the future. You don't know where you're going. You have the creative power to take the things that you like in it and expand it until you have the career that you really, really, really want. Some of how that unfolded for me was in the spaces of the friends that surrounded me and supported me. And what, one such friend is a person named Toma. Shout out to Toma. I love you, Toma. And Toma is one of many friends could see. Um, she, she saw that I was miserable. <laughs> I wouldn't admit that I was miserable to myself. Now, looking back on it, I would say, yeah, I was pretty miserable at the beginning because it wasn't the job I wanted. And Toma prayed for me. She said, she prayed for me that I would have a new job. And I have a new job now, even though interestingly, I'm still in the same job, but it's new. It's different because somehow what I did was take the seed of what I really enjoyed and expanded it and expanded it until really what I have now is most of what I enjoy. So I want to encourage you in thinking about what is the call to action, I want to encourage you that, yeah, you may have a job before you that you don't love. You may have a job before you that doesn't get you to where you really want it to be. 
but do you see the seed of potential in this job? Is there something in it that you really like, that you really resonate with? Is there something in it that you could take and you could expand? Because if you do, if you see something in it, if you see something that you love, and that's an opportunity for you to take this thing that you love and expand it until all you have is what you love. And you could say, oh yeah, that's wishful thinking. It's idealistic and everybody has to have a job that they hate. But I would say, I would say, I would, I would say, don't accept that. Challenge the assumption that you always have to have parts of your job that are a drudgery and ask yourself, how can you expand the things that you love so much so that there isn't really space for the drudgery that may still be there, but doesn't have to be yours. It doesn't have to overwhelm your career. So I think I would say that even though you can't see the future, you don't know what it's becoming, you have no idea where it's going, you see the seed of potential, and that's the piece I want you to hold on to because you have creative power to bridge the gap between what you see today, the stuff you don't like, and what you really, really, really see your career becoming. And that's going to be the focus of the next episode is really where I talk about how you start to make the transition from the stuff you hate in your career to making your career really about a career that you love, that you're proud of, that you go to every day, knowing that you're making the difference in the world that you came to make. So I'm excited to share that with you in the next episode. For today, I encourage you that you, O woman of color in hematology, Today is for you. Today, this message is for you because I think that there are many of you who are like me. You just know you want to do research, but you don't have the training to do research. And everywhere you go, people are telling you that, no, we're not really going to support you to do research or you can do research on your own time. And you know you really want to do that. I just want to encourage you that you can. Yes, we haven't had the training. You probably, like me, didn't have the training to do research. Yes, you can have a job where you're going to learn over time to be the researcher that you want to be. And it doesn't come easy. It doesn't even really come naturally. And you need a lot of friends to help you along the way. But you can make it happen. You have everything you need. You have everything it takes to be the person you want to be in your career. And it may not even be research for you. Maybe you really want to just take education and hematology to the next level. I don't know what you want to do. Maybe you want to cure the world of sickle cell. Whatever that is, you you have the capacity to do it. And I want to encourage you, a woman of color in hematology, and you are a superstar. You're wonderful. You're intelligent. You're creative. You're resilient. You've made it this far. You haven't given up because you know that there is work ahead of you. You know your passion. You know what you came to do. You know the difference that you came to make. And I just want to encourage you, And even if all you see before you is ugly, I want you to start looking for the seed of what is good, because we're going to talk about that, how to expand that to make it what you need. All right. Thank you for listening with me today. Thank you for sharing this space with me. Let me know how this message resonates with you. And let's continue the conversation online at coagcoach.com. I'll see you next time.